The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. I've been an interim pastor many times. I started off, um, I've, been, I've worked as a Baptist collegiate minister for 35 years, so most of my career has been doing that. And I get a call, well, I would get a call, I was on the campus about probably every four or five days, and somebody would, some church somewhere would say, can you find us a youth minister? And the answer was always, I can find you one, but they're already somewhere else. Uh, they're, they're not that easy to find. And then finally one day I took a, I just took a call from a church in uh, Crowville, Louisiana, and they said, can you get me a youth minister? I said, probably not, but I can come do it for you. So I went down and I was an interim there, stayed there for about a year. The, they got somebody and he, he uh, lasted about six months and he passed away uh, suddenly. And I went back again for about six months. So I started off doing that. Then I went on to be an interim pastor's uh, position after that. It's uh, pretty... It's a very fun thing to do, by the way. You get to see a church make a transition from uh, from where they were before with the leadership that was there. Uh, you see them ad- really create an identity that's clearly just the church and not the pastor. And then they grow on and do other things. It's always been very good for us. I went to one church about um, probably, I'm going to tell you how long ago because it might tell you who it was. But I went to this church, and a deacon, the oldest deacon in the church, pulled me aside, and he said, if you can make any difference in this church, they're going to write a book about you. Church had a reputation. Reputation was that it was mean. Now, I don't know uh, what the reputation is here. I know it's not that the church is mean. I went to another church, and I had, uh, uh, before that, I served for four weeks, I was an interim between interims. I was helping them get from one step to the next. At that church, uh, it was a great time, fun church, growing church, and um, the choir was singing behind me. And a, a lady that was she was in her early nineties was sitting right over here. It's just like I, I could see it happen like it was yesterday. She um, she called me over after the choir came down at the end of the service and uh, wanted me to lean in, and I leaned in just far enough for her to grab both of my ears and kiss me on the mouth. And uh, I don't even hug people. So uh, to get a kiss on the mouth, that was a, I guess that was my honorarium for the day. And back at another church, the one that told me they'd write a book, I had a lady in her early 90s grab me by one ear, and it was much, much less affectionate. And pulled me close and said, you have no idea what's going on in this church. Well, in the process of doing interims, I will uh, at some point talk about personalities. I'll talk about spiritual gifts. And uh, when a church is having trouble and they're not getting along and they're trying to get to the next step, uh, a lot of it has to do with just understanding each other. And, uh, and loving each other and knowing, knowing that you're all coming to the table with a different set of gifts and different um, ideas and worldviews and, and um, just personalities. So I'll do a personality test with folks and then I'll do a spiritual gift inventory. And as we go through those things, you start identifying, you know, that's why he talks so much because he's this. 
Or that's why she does that because she has this gift. Because God made them that way. So today I'm going to give you the first personality test that I typically do at a church that I go to visit. We're going to do this. It's going to take less than 60 seconds. Okay, I want you to raise your hand if you consider yourself a cat person. Ooh, that's less than, okay, got one, got two, three. Okay, we're getting there. We're almost there. 12% of the culture, when surveyed, says that they're cat people. Now, cat people have had all these kind of um, characteristics, and one of them's compassion. They're compassionate people. Okay, how many of you consider yourself a dog person? All right, that's most everyone else. Now we're really going to get down to it. How many of you consider yourselves inside dog people? Okay, about 50-50. So you got most of the congregation is going to be dog people. Some, a few are cat. But of those dog people, about half are inside dogs and half are outside dogs. We've been both in our family. And uh, we have inside dogs right now that want to be outside dogs. You can't keep them in. And you let them in, out, they do things. They do things they shouldn't do. And just a few weeks ago, our, one of our inside dogs was out for 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, was able to go out and find the smelliest pile of something that had ever existed in our neighborhood and roll around in it. And it doesn't just get it on its feet. It'd be okay if she got it on her feet because, you know, that's kind of easy to clean up. But the instant move, what does a dog do when they find something that smells? They flip over on their back and roll around in it and kind of, and it just gets everywhere. And I, I came up with a list of what you should do when your dog does that, just so you know. And one of these, you can just guess which one's mine. Uh, number one is run away and avoid him and don't, just don't get around him until the stink goes away. Number two is call somebody else to give that dog a bath. Third one is just go ahead and have him put down. Four things, give him a bath. All right, to give that dog a bath, uh, this particular dog had to have three baths with Dawn soap, and we had to wash the rugs that it touched. It was a bad day, bad day for that dog. People have bad days too, just like those dogs make bad choices. It seems to be in the very character of a dog, no matter how expensive it is. And we've had these designer dogs, and we've had mutts. And it doesn't matter what that dog costs, it wants to roll around in something that stinks. It's just its nature. Now we're in the book of Romans today, and the book of Romans is about the Apostle Paul teaching the church. It's the new influx of Gentiles, or people from the, 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 that Gentile Greek culture, that Roman culture, coming into the church, and they're mixing in with the, the established Jews that have been converted, and maybe some that have not been converted that are still hanging around. And those two groups have a hard time getting along. Now, you get around some people when you talk to them about whether they're cat people or not, and if they're not cat people, they're mean about it. They have some hard words to say about cats. They're harsh. They want to kill them. There are some people that are uh, super supportive and just uh, of those people that, that, that are a little bit different than them, but they don't say anything at all. In Romans, you have people that 
Paul, the Apostle Paul is trying to teach the church this. He's setting it up for what's going to happen in the rest of this, this book. He's establishing this one principle. is we all like to get out and roll around in something we shouldn't. We like to sin. We have a proclivity to sin. Remember last week we were born with a proclivity to sin? We have that. We want to do that. Our flesh desires to get ourselves in trouble. And no matter how good and how proper you think you might be, you have gotten into something before. And Paul's trying to say that to the Jews. The Jews that feel like they are uh, over and above the Gentiles because they were the, the chosen race. They're the ones that they were the first that, that were converted. They, they believe that they are a little bit better than those Gentile conversions. So this is not just a passage about uh, teaching the believers to not be prejudiced. This is a passage saying to, you, to, to everyone, you're all in the same condition. You're all lost. We don't want to brand people that are caught in sin because we know ourselves are caught in sin. While I was writing this out, thinking about this principle, talking about dogs, I, I remember a young guy that uh, I, I went to an elementary school, and some of you may have gone to the same kind of school, a big old country school that was raised up above the ground. It didn't have a slab. It had this open crawl space underneath it. And the crawl space was like an alluring place for a kid. If you could find a time at recess to get under there, uh, you'd go under there, even though you were not supposed to. And they had little holes, breathing holes, all around the, the, the bottom of the, of the school. And kids would drink their milk and throw their milk cartons in there when they knew they weren't supposed to. There's two things they were doing they knew they weren't supposed to do. The third thing that you were not supposed to do was get under there. You were supposed to get under there and mess around for a long period of time. And there was a group of boys that built themselves a fort underneath this school. Well, you know who else liked the underneath of the school? Skunks. And one guy, this has been about 50 years ago, he was, uh, he got under there when he wasn't supposed to, his name was Alan, and Alan got sprayed. He came out of there and he stunk so bad they had to send him home. And we branded him, I don't want to tell you his last name because you can look him up on Facebook, he never was Alan after that, he was Skunk Jones. Today, he's 60 years old. He's Skunk Jones. He's branded for life. Now, we look at people who are caught in sin, and we want to brand them as with a scarlet letter saying they are the sinner. These doors, these doors are open up to everyone because we're all in the same shape, aren't we? Now, we might not have been sprayed by a skunk, but we've got something on us that's caught us in sin. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, you're going to see, by the way, six conditions that lead to God's judgment. This is a passage about God's judgment, and, it, and it's going to uh, bring up some reasons we're in this state of judgment. Verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based in truth. Here's the first condition. The first condition that brings about God's judgment is it's according to truth. 
We have these set standards by God to live by, and we are prone to, we have the proclivity to sin, to break those laws, to break those rules. So no matter who you are, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're the righteous Gentiles that are, that are trying to live right but are not yet following Christ, no matter who you are, you have the proclivity to sin. Truth sets that apart and puts us into a state of judgment. Verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The Father is being patient with us. He's being kind to us. He has sent his son for us. He sends out people to witness to us. He gives us all kinds of media that expresses his truth, and yet we still get caught up in sin. He's being kind, extending it to us. Verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, I, um, I, listen, I talk about these podcasts with you all the time, but I listen to a, an outdoor podcast. And on one of these outdoor podcasts, these men were talking about how much fish they had eaten in the last three months. Now, one guy had eaten so much fish that he gave, him, gave himself mercury poisoning. Now, healthy food, he, he ate it, to, he caught it himself. He was a professional guide. He, he knew better. But he just ate and ate and ate and ate until the point it made him sick. Even his wife was sick from eating too much fish. It built up. It built up. And there was a day it had built up too much. You could keep on getting away with doing the petty things that are sinful. You can keep on talking about people. You can keep on... Um, whatever, whatever sin you're caught up in that you're getting away with until it builds up. And that forbearance, that kindness, that God showing you grace, it comes to a point that it's, it has built up and God's judgment is going to be revealed. Second principle that comes out of that the condition that brings God's judgment is just builds up over time. Accumulated sin. Verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. This, this third condition is your actions. Actions of sin. For those who are, true, are trying to do what's right in the Lord, and for those that are absolutely doing what's wrong. And those actions of sin will result in judgment. Let's think about some things. I want you to just take a little exercise for a second. Think about... Two things that you see people do 
consistently that are sinful that's going to catch up to them someday. Don't say them out loud. Don't nudge the person next to you. It's going to catch up to them someday. Your works, your actions create this. Verse 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. For first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Hey, by the by the way, you remember Romans 1.16, that's salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Of course, the power of God is salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Here's a repeat of that. He's saying there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Verse, here's the fourth principle that we get out of this. Is there is no one that gets a free pass for sin. No one. No one's born into a free pass. No one is... Uh, is socially has a free pass. No one can buy the free pass. You are all the same. I am the same. I've been doing ministry for 35 years now. I'm the same. Don't get a free pass. Suffer the consequences. Verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Here's another condition if you can live by the law. If you can live by the law, then you're not going to bring about God's judgment. But we said before, there's no one able to live according to the law. Everyone breaks it. We wouldn't have a need for a Savior if we didn't have this sinful state. And in verse 14, this is going to get real personal real quick. So I'm not going to, not going to look anybody in the eye. I'm going to look down the ground right in front of me. I don't, want you, I don't want you to think I'm talking about you. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So he's saying, you know, the, the Gentiles and Jews are in the same boat there. Verse 15, they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their consciousness, consciences are also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. And this will take place. Now here's, here's the, we're, we've got to stare at the ground and not look at each other in the, eye, in the eye. This will take place on the day God judges people's secrets. Secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. There's sins that are obvious to everyone else, and there's some that are secrets. And those secret sins are laid bare before the Father. So you see how Paul, when he's teaching these people, they may think that they're righteous and they're above, and, and they, uh, they're, they're good Jews, so they've done all the right things, they made the right offerings, but in their heart is wickedness. So we have two dogs. We got this one dog that you can't trust. Open the door, she's gone. She's not gone for a little while. She's gone a long time. We have another dog that's that's um, it's the best dog. 
was my dog. Usually what I would prefer a lab or something like this, but this one thing is like half Shih Tzu, half Schnauzer, and half Poodle. Okay, it's all these things, all mixed in. But it's, it's a good dog. Three halves. It's a 150% good dog. And you let that dog get near a carpet mouse, and its inner sin comes out. It may look great, still a dog. Still a dog. You may look great, but you're still a sinner. Down deep, down deep in the heart. Here's the last condition that brings about God's judgment. It's the condition of man's heart. The condition of man's secret heart. Because it's such a frequent problem, I had to look it up. This is what you do with a dog that stinks. So here's, here's the steps, which I have never done about half of these. Number one is you brush the dog thoroughly first. That's gross. You're ruining a brush. Okay, number two. Then you shampoo the dog, but you leave the soap in for a while. That's assuming the dog's going to stay in one place while that's happening. Then you rinse it well and repeat if necessary. Then it says in a metal bowl, combine baking soda, hydrogen peroxide, and liquid dish soap, and scrub the dog down with that. That will turn a chocolate lab into a yellow lab in about 10 minutes. That's going to bleach that dog's hair out. Carefully bathe the spot that they rolled in with the mixture. Try to avoid the eyes. And rinse with lukewarm water and repeat if necessary. And the last step was rinse well and take your time. Ooh, that's a lot of work, isn't it? That's a lot of work. They all have a service where you can take the dog and drop it off, and they do it for you. Somebody want to open a business? What do you do with a human that's got caught up so deep? What do you do? You pawn it off somebody else? Say, we'll let that church take care of that bunch. You do that? You don't do that. Here's what you do with a human. You bring them into the fellowship. You spend some time with them. You're patient. You're kind to them. You love on them. You help them get out of that situation they're in. And the only real help that can happen is to that relationship with Jesus. You can clean up the outside... You can feed them, but only Jesus changes the heart. If you're in that situation, this is what you need to do. If you're here today, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're listening on the radio, driving down the road, this is how you get through the process. This is your hydrogen hydrogen peroxide and baking soda right here. You acknowledge God's holiness and your sinfulness. You recognize what you're caught up in and admit to it. Say, Lord, I am caught up in this. Help me. Help me out. 
and then you get away from it. You repent. Lord, I, I, I know I'm caught up in sin. Can you help me? Can you help me? And then this is the most important part. You turn to Jesus. And say, Lord Jesus, I give this all to you. I'm asking for you to help me, to help me to, to restore my life, to become new, to become the person you created me, intended me to be. And then they get saved. They turn their life to him. And then they follow him. Step four. Step four for my dogs is I wish I'd just stay in the house and go out on a leash. For a believer, when you turn to Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. You can't just make that mental ascent and say, there's a God, he's going to help me out. No, you follow him. Put your hand in his hand and trust him and you follow him. And that makes you new. That's what's going to happen in the rest of Romans. So Paul has set it up here. And and chapter 3 is a lot of the same thing, by the way. All have sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. It's going to happen there. And then he begins to unfold to the people what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it's, it's a beautiful book written about becoming followers. And being disciples. So why do we preach through books like this? Because you've got to see the whole picture. You've got to see the whole picture. I once was lost. Now I'm found. So keeping with the dog theme, uh, we've not turned down many strays at our house in the last 40 years. They, they tend to come live with us. And uh, yesterday... We had a beautiful thing happen, is that we found a full-blood, looked look like full-blood, husky, about one-year-old female dog. She was in, running up and down the street in the parking lot of the school. She had obviously broke her leash or somebody had dumped her, one of the two. And the most beautiful thing that happened is we pet this dog and we left and we didn't take it home. That, that dog was so pretty in the rearview mirror. As we drove away. But I spent most of last night and today when we drove by that place wondering if that dog was okay. The church needs to have your eyes open for the lost. With a compassion to bring them in. And the heart to rescue them. That church, they said, would never change. Baptize more in the next 10 years than it did in the previous 40. Because they found a passion for the lost. Let's pray. Father, we know people right now that are caught up in something they can't get out of and we... We want to reach our hand out and help them and bring them into fellowship with you. And I pray that that happens, that we, that we extend love, that we extend this hand uh, of, of generosity and kindness and love to those that are lost and bring them into fellowship. We know that there are people that are listening right now with secret sin. 
Father, sin that they don't want anybody else to know, they don't want you to know, but Father, we know that you know and you bring judgment on that. And that we would be completely helpless without the blood of Christ. And because of that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we know that we have eternal life and you've forgiven us of those sins. If there's anyone today that needs to follow and trust you, Lord, that they would move forward and trust you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.